Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of In the Garden of Geekdom. My name is Janice Hawkins. And I'm Deanna Chapman. And this is a show where we watch an episode of Keep Your Hands Off Azoken and a different piece of media along with it and talk about them. What anime did we watch this time? This time we watched episode four of Keep Your Hands Off Azoken and Paprika. Yeah, some really wonderful pieces of media in my opinion. Uh, Deanna, what was the homework... I gave you on what to pay attention to in Paprika. So on this episode, we were supposed to pay attention to the direction, pacing, camera movements, and all of that is wrapped up in deadlines that attacked me endlessly. Yeah, you got attacked a little bit. I got attacked a little bit. I got attacked a lot of it. (laughs) This This is the episode where I accidentally watched it ahead of time and had to jump back, but I texted you and was like, your attack meter is going to go through the charts. It did. Every episode has attacked me so far, to be fair. Mm-hmm. It's my own personal goal, just in between the two pieces of media. Get you psychologically damaged as much as possible. This is your brain on anime, Deanna. That's the tagline for Paprika. It would work if I had a brain that worked, but you're a little <laughs> late to the party, so... Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Treading on tread ground. That's a saying, right? I don't know. So what happened in this episode? As the last episode was leading up to, there is a budget meeting so that the clubs find out who gets money and who doesn't. And the girls are working on their, what is it, like three to five minute little anime presentation. And they kind of go back and forth because of the deadlines. And Kanamori is (laughs) so great. She's she's straight up just like, if you want to do this the way you want to do this, you will not sleep for 30 days. <laughs> yeah, she's like herding kittens. Yeah, because when we last left them, they were just planning. And now at the beginning of this episode, we jump into they had two months to do it. We're one month in and it's going so much more slowly than they ever thought. Right. And that one speaks a lot to how long animation takes. And this is why there's an entire team of animators. It's not one person animating an entire movie. And you really see why that is the way it is through this. And you would think at first, three to five minutes, not that bad. That's not a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot for only having essentially two creatives working on it because Kanamori just kind of steps in at the end and is like, fine, I'll do the computer (laughs) stuff. Yeah, she's been doing like the coloring and stuff in the background and like overlaying everything. But Asakusa has been obsessed with like painting all the backgrounds, but she like gets in her own way because she's like, oh, I put a pond up here. That doesn't make sense. And then Mizusaki's like, I am going to hand draw all 3,600 frames. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but then she's like, oh, I don't know how to make smoke look good. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. And I loved it. And I was attacked. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so kanamori tries to introduce like all sorts of different ways that they can like save time by like cutting the story using a computer to do in between stuff making it monochrome getting someone else to do the backgrounds so here's the thing janice all three of these characters are too relatable <laughs> <laughs> because as you might have discovered i don't listen very well mm, what <laughs> Shocker. I know. (laughs) So when other people are like, what if you just do this? I'm like, no, what if I don't? Like, I don't want to compromise my vision for anything. 
And that's a lot where that's that's a lot where we all are when we like something a lot and we're really passionate about a project. But also, I respect deadlines. Mm-hmm. And I understand they exist for a reason. Otherwise, nothing would ever get done, which is exactly what I told you with this podcast. I was like, Janice, <laughs> I need deadlines. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to get done. And I'm like, don't worry about it. And you're like, no, really, I, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> Being all three characters wrapped into one person is very exhausting. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So after Kanamori kind of like tries so hard to do all this stuff and she comes back defeated because the art department tells her no. That's the moment I think where Mizusaki's like, okay, I will bend just a little bit. Like, let's do a trade-off. And then they're able to do some more of it animated and stuff. Yeah, they definitely had to compromise. And I'm very much like a all or nothing person. <laughs> yeah. So I actually saved a quote from this because oh, no. it reminded me a little bit of you, but then also a little bit of me. So for FI fans who are listening to this podcast, uh, I tend to watch the piece of media that we're going to talk about the night before or the day of that we record and then put all of our notes, all my notes together literally in the minutes leading up to when Deanna sends me a Zoom link. Uh, So the girls all get, they literally crunch the night before the committee meeting. Like we jump a month ahead and they've done this thing. And uh, Kanamori asks Asukasa if, if it's finished. And she says, I'd say it's less about finishing or completing the project and more of the outcome of passion crashing against compromise and resignation. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, that's a quote for both of us. <laughs> I just want to say I watched everything for this episode five days ago. Yeah, you're a lot better. At, well, you also have a lot more deadlines in your life than I do. Was it five days ago? I think so. I don't actually know if it was five days ago, but it was something like that. No one's going to check. No one knows what day we're recording this except for us. They have to check our letterboxed reviews to see when this actually happened. <laughs> follow us on letterboxd so they finally go to this meeting the club that goes ahead of them gets their budget denied and then the council like as soon as they sit down like is like Azokin is a public enemy y'all are a nuisance <laughs> i mean to be fair they're not exactly wrong <laughs> they did terrorize a teacher they did terrorize the teacher just a little bit and like destroy property Kanamori says it's not a problem so it's not a problem that's that's fair. But they finally get to show the piece of animation that they made, and it knocks everybody's socks off. Everyone's like, what do you think they would do if we gave them a budget? And they get approved. Our girls are going to get money. Money helps. It does. Uh, what did you think of the episode? I felt so attacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I went, I don't want to think about deadlines right now. No, thank you. And then I proceeded to think about deadlines for 20 minutes straight, because that was the whole episode. (laughs) Yeah. Whoops. Not my intent. (laughs) Yes, it was. Don't lie, Janice. The next one has fewer deadlines, if that helps. I love the, like, relationship that will develop between Kanamori's business sense and the student council. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the way that those two interact. And so I'm looking forward to seeing more of that as we watch more episodes. I also really appreciated the fact that they put emphasis on how hard creative stuff is without a budget. Yeah, even the like beginning of the short, they start completely monochrome because they just didn't have time to color it. And 
It's a creative choice. No one needs to know. Yeah, yeah, they're a creative choice. You're right. But Janice, you know what else needs funding? What? Science things. Science things. Science things. Invading other people's dreams. Yeah, and the people who fund those kind of science projects also are mad shady, just like in Paprika, which is a 2006 movie. So we're jumping back in the timeline now based on a book called Paprika by a Japanese novelist named Yatsutaka Tsutsui. The production company for the movie is Madhouse, a huge name in animation since the 1970s. They've done so, 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 so many things. It would be wild to describe all of them, but some things that I love, some things that I hate. It's because it's a Madhouse. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's total poof. Yeah, that's a good one. Total Madhouse. They did do... Teenage Me's favorite thing, X-Men Evolution, okay. which is one of the pieces of media that for some reason I own every DVD of uh, matching the struggle I've had this week where I've been like, Deanna, I should buy everything about Lupin, right? Yes. So shout out to Madhouse and X-Men Evolution. Did you ever watch X-Men Evolution? No. It's not good, but do you know what it is? No. It's literally the plot of X-Men, but they're in high school. Oh, God. So it's like... <laughs> Teen high school drama, X-Men. It's, I love it so much. You should not watch it. I adore it. (laughs) But Paprika was directed by Satoshi Kon. And I will talk a lot more about Satoshi Kon later. But Satoshi Kon had directed three movies prior to this. um, In order, Perfect Blue, which we will watch at some point. uh, Millennium Actress and Tokyo Godfathers. And then this movie came next. And then he died of pancreatic cancer in 2010 before he was able to do much or finish uh, his last work, which was going to be called Dream Machine. No one ever finished that. Yeah, so I don't know if Dream Machine has been canceled or not. I'd have to go onto the page and really read more about it. But it says that in 2018, they said that it won't be completed or released in the foreseeable future, but maybe one day. So that is a sad thing. Oh, and then he also made a, a TV show called Paranoia Agent, which is interesting. So I haven't seen Millennium Actress and I haven't seen Tokyo Godfathers at the time of this recording. I plan to watch them soon and people tell me that I will probably like them a lot better. I do not care for Perfect Blue at all. I don't care for Paranoia Agent at all and Paprika is borderline for me. (laughs) So I'm like Satoshi Kon, brilliant director, amazing motion, visuals, a genius inspired. I do not like the things he makes. If that makes sense. I mean, that's fair. So, with all respect in the world, Satoshi Kon, I'm sorry. But the people who worked with him on this have worked with him on a lot of the things that he had done before, too. The script was co-written by him and Seishi Minakami, uh, who wrote for Paranoia Agent. The character design and animation direction for this movie was done by... Masashi Ando, who did a lot of Ghibli stuff. He did Paranoia Agent, he did Tokyo Godfathers, and he did a movie that came out recently called Your Name that was like a big thing when it came out. Okay. The art director was Nobutaka Ike, who worked on all of Satoshi Kon's stuff. And the soundtrack was by Susumu Hirasawa, who does all sorts of music, but also did the soundtracks for Paranoia Agent and Millennium Actress, as well as Berserk. 
So the people who have worked with Satoshi Kon worked with him a lot. So okay. he's got that going for him. And it was also edited by Takashi Sayama, who we've brought up on this podcast before because he is the one who edited Akira. So that guy's really good at editing a mess into something that's, well, I was going to say into something that makes sense, but maybe, maybe it's to his credit that they don't make sense. <laughs> I guess that's a, that's a brave take. That is everything that went behind the scenes into making Paprika. It's a movie. It sure is a movie. Pretty sure I finished it and texted our friend Becky and was like, well, that was certainly a movie. <laughs> Let's get into the plot recap. Oh, boy. You said you only had two notes on it? I started taking notes and then I realized I was not going to be able to write down notes and pay attention to the movie. Yeah. So I just stopped after like figuring out what the DC mini was <laughs> and that it was stolen. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of where my notes stop. That's a good 12 minutes into the movie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to bring back our bit called Deanna Ask Questions along the way because I got that message from you where you were like, I'm going to have some again, but it's totally fine if your question is just what over and over <laughs> That's mostly my question. Okay. What did I just watch? The lines between reality and fiction and dreams are so hard to tell. So what did you watch? I don't know. What did we all watch? <laughs> I also texted you and I was like, oh, this is the anime Inception before Inception. Yeah. Christopher Nolan has never said that Inception is like, has homages to Paprika, but I feel like you would have to be like... But it definitely does. It definitely does. There's no way that you could see both things and think, if Christopher Nolan had never seen Paprika, I would lose my mind. It has too many things. Dana's just shrugging. It's, it's so hard to narrate, but she's just doing a lot of shrugs and head nods. Great audio content. <laughs> yeah. This is a... This is a... I've never done this podcasting thing before. I have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this movie did to me. I, it, it just broke me. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> what's happening. It broke that wall. All right, so I'll try and recap the plot as succinctly as I can. I have decided to like tone it back from, I think in Akira, I tried too hard to explain everything that happened. And here I'm just like, you guys have watched the movie, so it's fine. <laughs> you don't need to explain the whole thing. And if they haven't watched the movie, they should watch the movie. So therefore, we should yeah. tell them every single thing. But this, this would not make any sense. Is wild. I don't think it makes any sense anyway, <laughs> but... <laughs> this is my second time watching it, so it made a little bit more sense, I think, this time. But now I just... Like, the problem is the second time I watch something, I start noticing things. So I just really, like, watch this movie again and pay attention to blah, blah, blah. So I gave myself homework on this. So we start off, and Detective Konakawa receives some special dream therapy from a literal manic pixie dream girl. Literal. Uh, named Paprika, because he's got, like, some trauma related to a dead friend in movies or something. Paprika leaves him and then goes to work the next day um, and turns into Dr. Atsuko Chiba, who works for the Foundation of Psychiatric Research. On her way into the office, she runs into Dr. Tokita, and he tells her they've got a problem, someone on the on the inside has stolen this contraption that they've invented called a DC Mini, and now anyone who has gone through this special dream psychotherapy uh, can, their mind can be accessed 
by this DC Mini. So somewhere out there, there is a dream machine that is letting some rogue, quote-unquote, terrorist, like, into people's brains. Any questions so far? Why? Why would you make something like this? Uh, because it sounded fun. <laughs> that's, that's the reasoning he gives. He had the idea one day when he was hanging out with his friend, Himuro, and he was like, oh, that would be great. So then he did it, because he's just a smart man baby. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, science. Science loves to do what it shouldn't is a common theme that we've experienced here. Yeah. So obviously, the big way this is different from Inception is that the people are doing it to themselves, not to other people. Yeah, it's not a heist. Inception's a heist, right? But I mean, in Inception, it's like they're going inside like their own dream world thing. They're not going into other people's. Right, right. It's important that only like the therapist intentionally go into the dreams of other people. And so that's why Paprika specifically is the only one who's really bouncing around for the most part when things are normal. Right. But that's also why this is terrifying, because if someone else gets it, then they just have access. Yeah. Hope you don't have weird dreams, because everyone's going to know about it. We're introduced to two different old guys. One is Dr. Shima, who loves the dream control therapy shit. And then there's also the chairman, Dr. Inui, who will always be referred to as the chairman from now on, so you don't have to remember the words Dr. Inui. Uh, But he's a wheelchair-bound chairman of the board who hates the dream technology, even though he's the one who funded all of it. And somehow he already knew that it got stolen. Not suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. Um, While they talk to him, Dr. Shima loses his shit and starts imagining that he's, like, the grandmaster of this, like, frog parade while he's awake. (laughs) And he jumps out a window, but lives. And that's when we learn that whoever's taken the DC Mini is able to... The more people are exposed to this, like, psychotherapy, the more that the person who stole the thing can just, like, jump in their brain while they're awake and make them do stuff. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Why is it the doctors who were affected first when they're the ones who are supposed to be using it on other people? Did they test it on themselves? I imagine that they tested it on themselves. I imagine that all of them, like... So this is speculation on my part, but it seems like probably like Dr. Chiba, where like they were the ones guiding them, but also because the person who stole it is like on the behalf of trying to protect dreams or like that's what they say they're doing. Um, I think they were only intentionally attacking people who were working for the company trying to get into people's dreams. Like they don't care about the patients. The patients aren't necessarily a big deal. Right. Except for the detective, obviously. Except for the detective, but he was, like, with Paprika when they started going out all out on the offensive, so that might have just been a bystander thing. Or maybe maybe the chairman, spoiler alert, maybe the chairman knew that they were, the detective was helping them, and so was like, oh, I gotta get that guy too. Because we spend a lot of time with the detective streams in this. We do. And he has a lot of movie-based <laughs> magical dreams, and he's got trauma that he's dealing with. He doesn't like the movies. He doesn't like the movies. Can't trust someone who doesn't like the movies. And then it turns out he's, like, the only one you can trust in this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's the only good cop <laughs> in this. Yeah. So after... Dr. Shima jumps out the window. They realize that Dr. Tokita's assistant, Himuro, hasn't shown up to work in a while. 
And so they go to check on him, and while they're checking on him, Dr. Chiba gets, like, hijacked and nearly jumps out the window. But Dr. Osanai saves her and suggests that maybe Takeda's, like, the mad scientist bad guy. And Dr. Chiba's like, no, he's a genius, how dare you? (laughs) More doctors are affected, so the chairman tells them to stop the project. Dr. Shima gets Detective Kanokawa to help them investigate the who, what, where, when, why's. Dr. Tokita dream merges with Himuro to try and, like, fix things, and their dreams start converging, and then they go into Detective Konakawa's dreams while Paprika is there, and so she's just, like, trying to fix everything, and all these dreams are converging, and it's getting to be, like, a big old, big old mess. With so many dolls. With so many dolls. There's too many dolls. Do you want to talk about the dolls? Not really. (laughs) Okay, do you want to not talk about the dolls? Here's the thing about dolls. I have an aunt who has a room full of dolls Mm -hmm. and it's like a bedroom it's a guest bedroom (laughs) and i don't i've never understood why there are so many dolls in this room but as a kid i remember going over there and no one ever wanted to stay in that room (laughs) because of all the dolls because there's like raggedy ann dolls and dolls that kind of look like some of the ones in this that are just Mm -hmm. like you know the baby faces yeah yeah And it's too many. There were too many. And I just want to say, like, while you're describing this, because I do agree and feel for you, I hate dolls in real life. Um, I do not like being in the same room with a doll, but I am looking behind you and you have, like, 30 Funko (laughs) vinyl figures That's not the same. Those are in boxes. Oh, okay. So they've been restrained. It's like Spider-Man and Spider-Ham. It's not like weird baby faces looking at you, Janice. Okay. All right. Okay. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Where do we draw the line between, like... They're bobbleheads. They're not dolls. Is our grandparents' porcelain dolls going to be, like, our grandchildren's, like, fear of Funko, though? I don't know, because, like, they're characters. They're not weird babies. I have a relative who is obsessed with... Um, Snuggy Bear, the bear from the fabric softener commercials. Okay. They have a room in their house that is full of this little bear hugging things thing, which on the surface sounds cute, but I, I can see even when you get to like too many of a thing, going into that room sometimes where you're just surrounded by all these cute little bears, you're like, oh, these these could hurt me. It could happen. I'm sure Catwoman over here is going to uh, attack you, Janice. Promise? (laughs) Sorry. Uh, So the parade's got a lot of dolls. There's a... um, In a wild sequence, uh, she thinks she gets woken up. Paprika slash Dr. Chiva does. But um, she goes to confront the chairman and he gets up and starts walking and she doesn't clock that as weird. And then he's got all these like wild legs and stuff um and a bunch of other stuff happens but she you find out that the chairman is the bad guy and dr osanai is helping him kanakawa is able to save her and kill dr osanai but then the dream world converges with the real world and tokyo gets hit with a lot of destruction because they love to break tokyo in anime then dr chiba goes to save dr tokita admits she loves him and then her two split personalities, her fun side Paprika and her serious side Dr. Chiba, are able to remerge 
into her being one person and she's able to swallow up the evil void destruction king chairman of the dream world it got very watchman at the end there (laughs) what is happening but i also didn't understand that confession because she was so mean to him (laughs) the entire time she was so mean to him because she liked him is that a thing people do? You know, like when a middle schooler like pulls somebody else's pigtails or like... Okay, that's when you're children, Janice, not a doctor. Well, she described him as a giant man-child. Her dream personality is very childlike too, so maybe she just needed to embrace that immaturity and stop being mean to him. I truly did not understand that at all. Yeah, it's an interesting couple, but you know... Because she was just fat-shaming him the whole time. She was so rude to... She was fat- Shaming him the whole time, and it's like, girl, you like him. Be nicer. <laughs> He's not gonna know you like him. Like, I know you want him to grow up and be more mature a little bit, but like, yeah, that whole thing was wild. But you know what was even wilder was when the guy like reaches into her and just like <sighs> rips open the outer skin kind of thing that was going on. That is the most upsetting thing. I really hate <laughs> Osanai for a lot of reasons, but oh, that is such a creepy, disgusting violation. It was animated so well, though. Yeah, hate that scene. Really well animated. Horrifying. I love horrifying things. It's a problem. Yeah, I know you do. That's that's why I thought maybe this would have a chance at you liking it as a movie. I liked it. It was just a lot. A lot. That's fair. Because... Inception was a lot when I first watched it, and I've since watched it a second time, and it was less a lot. But visually, this is so much, because so much is going on. There's like 1,800 dolls in half of the scenes. Yeah. And it's not that it's like intensely colorful. It is colorful, but it's not like super, super bright colors that hurt your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Where Promare is, like, extremely colorful, but, like, visually assaultingly extremely (laughs) colorful, like, hyper color. This is just lots of colors. Piprik is just colorful, but, like, in a normal human spectrum of eye (laughs) vision. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have a lot of different types of scenes, too. Like, the bar is fine. The bar isn't super colorful. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the whole, kind of like the movie street from the detective streams not nearly as colorful but then you have some moments where it's just like a lot is going on in the background yeah the real life scenes quote-unquote when you know when you know that you're awake the real life scenes when you know when paprika you know like when you know that they're awake when they're in like the offices and stuff yeah but like they think they're conscious then those are pretty dull and muted and not very like exciting from a like visual standpoint but then anytime you know that you're in a dream sequence it's like you are just being like assaulted with all these like colors and shapes and effects it's very cool one thing i wanted to say about it that i thought was interesting was i found out that in the book there are individual dreams and nightmares that get described like a lot but they didn't have time to do that in the movie so that's Mm. where they introduced this like idea of the parade so that everyone could immediately like recognize when they heard the song or when they started seeing dolls come in where like their dreams started to get infected by this other thing instead that parade song slaps so hard (laughs) i like it so much it's infectious yeah so for a bit for this episode uh i wanted to just bring up 
this is like the self-referential movie extravaganza where Satoshi Kon talks a lot about Satoshi Kon. Okay. At the end of the movie, Konakawa is finally able to watch movies again. Paprika tells him that he should go see a movie called Dreaming Kids, which was, I guess, the title at the time. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see it in English or Japanese? What was the name of the movie at the end in English? I have no idea. Okay. I don't know if it's like a translation difference. In the, in the Japanese version, they call the movie Dreaming Kids. That sounds right. Okay. But the fifth film that Satoshi Kon was working on ended up supposed to be called Dreaming Machine. But the movie that he's going to to go see is the movie that Satoshi Kon was going to do next. And on the way past the like posters, he passes the poster for Perfect Blue the poster for Millennium Actress, and the poster for Tokyo Godfathers to go see this other movie. So there's him referencing his own stuff, but that movie never happened because he died. Um, Very sad. Yeah. The character, Detective Konakawa, was made specifically for this movie. He does not exist in the book. People think he's potentially a Satoshi Kon insert because his name is Kon Akawa. And then also because like, he's explaining like film techniques and stuff to paprika but uh when he does explain film techniques to paprika he is wearing akira kurosawa's trademark hat and sunglasses so there's a little reference to a different director the bartenders at radio club are <laughs> they're great. voiced they're so good their voice actors are satoshi khan and uh yasutaka tsutsui so the book novelist and okay. satoshi khan voiced them when Paprika skips through the opening sequence, it is a lot like a scene that you will see at some point in Perfect Blue. So okay, remember that. Make a mental note of that. Um, the banners that the bartenders blind the robot with are like a banner that's in Tokyo Godfathers. The robots in the theme park and Himuro scenes resemble robots in Dreaming Machine. And uh, the music that... The music in the scene where... Osanai and Konakawa are chasing each other is a remixed opening theme from Paranoia Agent. Mm. So he's really hit all his <laughs> touchstones in this. And then other movies referenced were The Greatest Show on Earth, Tarzan from Russia with Love, Roman Holiday, Monster, Pinocchio, Peter Pan, The Big Sleep, and Blade Runner. That's a lot. It's movie like movies. So let's talk about what they had in common or not. <laughs> Directions and stuff. What do you think? Was there stuff that like directional choices that stuck with you comparisons that you thought were like well it's the same i think some of the camera movements kind of translated between the two things because you have this moment where paprika is like rowing the boat or something and then they jump out of the truck (laughs) like they just jump out of the side of the truck (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it felt like they were using some of those you know like repeated motions with the paddling and then they're doing some like unique things to make them jump out of or into certain things, which I thought was fun. Yeah, definitely. One of the scenes that I like is when Dr. Tokita is in Himuro's dream. He like, the, the camera is on his face mm-hmm. and then he starts talking to like the dolls and the doll, it'll just kind of slightly pan to the dolls mm-hmm. and then slightly pan back to him and then slightly pan back to the dolls. So they're doing that thing that like, Asakusa is doing where they don't fully like do a bunch of different animated scenes. They just kind of turn the camera a little bit so that you can 
move around. And I liked that because the conversation he thought he was having with them and the conversation that they were trying to have with him was totally different. So (laughs) going between the two was nice. I do have to say one other thing that stood out to me was like the theme park Mm -hmm. area, just because they could kind of reuse some shots since they went back to it. Oh, yeah. And then the whole thing comes full circle. and We're kind of seeing the beginning of the movie again. Yeah, that's a good point. So I thought that was kind of smart to reuse things, but not right away, which I feel like they also did in the episode. They were like, no, you you can just use the same smoke and, you know, do like the bombs, the different bombs and have the smoke clouds be exactly the same and just replicate them, which is a little bit of a different use, but... They're still reusing the same animation, so they don't have to reanimate things again. Yeah, for sure. Especially with, like, um, Konokawa's dream sequences. Like, mm-hmm. they might have to change them a little bit each time, but they're still using the same background and they're yeah. still stretching it. Yeah, that's that's a really great point. One of the things that I thought was really interesting parallel in this is that, like, Aizuken's episode has, like, animation within animation where they have to do a t- completely different art style for mm-hmm. the piece of media that they're making so that you can like tell the difference quote unquote between when they're imagining things when they're in the video they're watching or when they're like in the real world even though it's all animated right and i think in the episode they end up blending it kind of like how the dreams blend together later because you see this moment where there's someone in the crowd watching their animated short and something falls over and it falls over next to him. Yeah, he's looking at the shell from the cannon. Yeah, it kind of looks like a a trash can fell over like (laughs) in in the real world though. So I think how they did that and then how in Paprika when everything starts blending together Mm -hmm. and they're in the dreams, but they're also kind of in their reality or their reality depends on surviving the dream. Yeah, and they don't know which they're in half the time. Right, especially at the end. It's just pure chaos. Yeah, they start overlapping. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really neat idea. Janice, I just have to say, I've watched some of the most chaotic movies <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in the last like week and a half. You watched everything everywhere all at once. Blade. Sonic. Stuff. <laughs> Sonic 2. <laughs> yeah, this has been a big week. Big week for Deanna. The good thing is this big week for Deanna is ending and the next big week for Deanna is beginning. Maybe that's not good, but hopefully it's good. Overall opinions, I just wanted to say on this, I read some guy named Rob Nelson of The Village Voice, Okay, his opinion on the movie, and he wrote uh, that it's not a movie that's meant to be understood so much as simply experienced or maybe dreamed, and I think that that really hits too Yeah, a lot of how we're feeling. I am glad that I watched it at the end of the day, because then I could just go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, and then you could be sleeping. You weren't worried about your dreams? I don't ever remember them, so... No, I wasn't worried about it. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, brag, brag, brag. No dreams. Um, I think that requires getting more sleep than I get. Probably so. Especially lately. But no, I've, I. it's always been a thing. Like, I don't remember anything when I wake up. I have like that falling thing mm-hmm. where you feel like you're falling and you wake up, but I will have absolutely no clue why. You won't remember why you were falling? No, not at all. I just like freak out and wake up. <laughs> Oh, that's wild. I had a dream last night. This is not interesting at all. I had a dream last night that like was like, if I, when I say it's the human version of the Lion King, I know you're going to think, I mean, Hamlet. And that's not totally 
what I'm talking about? That is not where my brain would have gone. Oh, okay. That's what I think about. But I had a dream that was like, it started out as anime, and then over time I was like, wait, this is the plot of The Lion King. Except that instead of Scar being the one who like took over the quote-unquote company, because it wasn't like a, a place anymore, uh, it was uh, the main hyena. But, like, they knew that as soon as Scar showed up, like, the human Scar, that they were going to have to give up their, like, stake in the company. So, like, we all banded together to stop Scar so that they didn't have to. It was really... I have dreams. I have dreams a lot that are weird. That is something else. Yeah. Paprika-level dreams, perhaps, even. (laughs) Kind of makes me glad I don't remember anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Count yourself lucky. Well... Dreaming is interesting because the next episode of the show is going to be way more realistic, even though it's kind of fantasy. Okay. What are we watching next time? We're watching the fifth episode of Keep Your Hands Off Azalkin, which is called An Iron Giant Appears. Mm -hmm. Janice, I just want to say I'm not really reading these episode descriptions either before watching the episode, so I have no idea what is happening. I just expect to be attacked every time I watch one of these. Okay. I would be surprised if this one attacks you. I wouldn't be, but that's okay. Okay. And then we are watching Pat Labor the movie? Yes. And uh, your homework for it is that an Iron Giant appears. We're obviously going to be talking finally about mechas as a main topic. We dabbled a little bit into mechas, giant robots, in Promare, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of it. <laughs> but that wasn't like the main focus of that no. versus Pat Labor it's going to be a big deal. Okay. So we're going to finally get into a huge subgenre of anime called mechas. I would like you to think about and notice when they talk about designing realistic and practical mechs that do things in the real world that make sense versus like fantastical fantasy designs of mechs. Okay. Promare will be a good thing to keep in mind in juxtaposition to Pat Lieber. Okay. I'm also going to apologize in advance if I just end up talking about spider mechs the whole time. (laughs) Honestly, I like talking about mechs, so any mech talk will be good. That's all I got because they're in the Spider-Man comics. Cool. I should read those. I like giant robots. There's a few. This one is regrettably hard to find, so it might be more difficult for the audience to get it through normal channels. Uh, I mailed a copy of the DVD, not a copy, I mailed a DVD to you so that you can watch it. Yes. Um, so that we're not breaking the law as part of this <laughs> podcast. So if you can find a rental store or anything, five listeners. I recommend that you do it or watch this however you need to. You won't regret it, probably. In the Guide to Geekdom is a spinoff of Welcome to Geekdom by our host, Deanna Chapman. Check out her YouTube channel for more opinions on general geekery. Our intro and outro music is by Associations. Do yourself a favor and go to associations.bandcamp.com to listen to more of their stuff. For a multimedia experience with links and images, follow us on Twitter at geek underscore guidance.